0: You don't make healthcare policy with the criminal code of Canada. Like, that's just insane. This is absolute
1: batshit crazy. Hi, I'm Julie Bindle, and this podcast episode is a conversation with Amy Hamm, a nurse in British Columbia in Canada, who in November 2020 was told by the regulatory body, the British Columbia College of Nurses and Midwives, that she was under investigation for her off-duty conduct, which effectively is her posting on social media, her concerns about extreme transgender ideology and its clash with women's sex-based rights. She's an exemplary nurse. She's never had a complaint against her from a patient, from a colleague, but she has now, but she's not having it. She's taking her employers to court. She's been a nurse for 10 years and she obviously is concerned about her own future, her own livelihood. But she also refuses to accept that she's done anything wrong or that her views adversely affect her work in any way. In fact, having the knowledge that biological sex matters is surely beneficial for any medic. Here she is. Amy, it's really good to connect to you. And obviously many of us feminists and women's rights campaigners here in the UK or Turf Island, as we're affectionately known, have been shocked, surprised, and appalled by what's been happening to you.
0: Yeah, it is, it uh, it doesn't feel real that in 2022 in Canada, I'm essentially on trial for thought crimes um, and the thought crime being that biological sex is real and men and women are different and you can't change your sex.
1: Indeed. Um, okay, let's go back to the beginning. First of all, tell me a little bit about yourself, who you sure. are, what what your life was like before this all happened, and then we can go in to talk about the atrocity.
0: Sure, so um, I am a single mom with two young boys. They're three and five. My day job is nursing. I've been a nurse for more than 10 years now. And then I've always kept my personal life and my work life very separate. So back around 2016, 2017, I started, I think 2016 was the first time someone called me a TERF and it was all new to me, but I was noticing what was happening online. Some of the talk, in women's spaces online was going off the rails, trying to accommodate men who are identifying as women. I got really interested in the topic. And about a year later, I started organizing events about gender identity, ideology in Vancouver. Uh, The first event involved having to get lawyers to come after the public library in Vancouver that tried to no platform our speakers with security fees. Um, And then I've just, being more involved with events and some writing about gender identity. Um, And in, it was two, more than two years ago now, during the pandemic, you couldn't do events anymore. A friend and I did a Posey Parker inspired iHeart JK Rowling billboard in Vancouver, which I was already on the radar of trans activists here. But after doing that, I could see online people were starting to talk about my profession and trans activists Two, One, I know one person who's Alex Turif, who's a social worker and describes himself as a Marxist. He wrote a letter of complaint. I've never met this person. It's not a patient. And then someone else, a member of the public anonymous wrote a, another complaint about me. They said that I should not be able to be a nurse because I would pose a danger to trans or gender diverse people whatever gender diverse means Um, and then my college which is the regulatory body that gives me a license to practice rather than dismissing the complaints usually they would usually they deal with complaints that are from patients or patients families about issues of the care that you give people and this was 100% that they didn't like what I did outside of work So they didn't dismiss the complaints, they started to investigate me. And several months later, I had already retained lawyers, not with my nursing union, because I suspected that they were also just as woke and captured as my college was, and they absolutely are. Um, So I got lawyers from uh, the, in Canada, we have this, Nonpartisan and they receive no government funding. It's the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, so they and they're paying my legal bills, which is amazing. Uh, they took on my case. A few months later, I got more than 330 pages of investigation materials. That was apparently the evidence of my being transphobic, um, and it was articles I've written, tweets, social media posts, the Cosbar, which is. Uh, Canadian women's sex-based rights. It's a group that I was one of the founders of. Our website was on there. Every podcast I've done, they have transcripts of it. Um, And then they tried from that point to reach a consent agreement with me that included a temporary suspension of my nursing license and signing a statement of facts that said that I had been transphobic, said transphobic things. And I, I just, I would never do that. I, I am not transphobic. I would never say something transphobic. I won't, I won't take a suspension. I won't take any punishment. So I said no, and they still, this whole time, they could have dropped the case, but instead they issued a citation to send me to a disciplinary hearing. Um, the first citation accused me of spreading medically inaccurate information. Which was a charge that just came out of nowhere, and it wasn't anything that was contained in the investigation materials. It wasn't something they were accusing me of doing. It just came out at the very last minute, and then we pressured them for the evidence. Like, what are you? What are you saying that is the medically inaccurate information that I spread? Um, they sort of sent some explanation. And it was all that shit crazy. Like one of them was an article that I wrote about Vancouver rape relief, for instance. Clearly there there wasn't even any medical information in there at all. So they a few days later they dropped the medical misinformation charge and issued a new citation that now just says that I've said derogatory and discriminatory things about trans people. Um, I've asked for a retraction and an apology for the first charge that they dropped, and they haven't they haven't done anything. Um, and at this point, I it started as four days, and then seven days, and now it's looking like a ten day trial, uh, which started for three days in September. Uh, I know a lot of people signed up, even some people from the UK who were watching it. Um, and thus far, it's just been the college and and their expert witnesses, um, including, so one is, uh, her, she, her name is Elizabeth Saywick. She's the director of the nursing school that I graduated from. She does trans research. And the second one is Dr. Greta Bauer, who actually just before I started speaking to you, someone um, was tagging me on Twitter. So she's all she's an academic that has received millions of dollars from the canadian government to research trends and gender type things she just was involved in a big study that came out that is getting a lot of uh critique from sort of the turfs in canada it's a very poor study um and so she's leaving she's going to become the the head of the minnesota sex and gender clinic which is um, it's the Pritzker family? It's their organization. It's it's big pharma, basically. Yeah. So basically, this woman, she gets millions of dollars from the Canadian government, and clearly now from the Pritzker family. Um, and sh- yeah, she's <laughs> she's the one that is, has been testifying against me, and it, it's it, it has been surreal, like the the way that they talk themselves into circles and. The first witness, it it was covered in some media, like she said that being a lesbian is transphobic in certain circumstances. (laughs) And yeah, it's just beyond belief.
1: Okay, so let's, I mean, this is Orwellian and terrifying. So let's really pin down for the skeptical listener, what exactly it is that you have said or done, Mm that is deemed to be anti-trans or transphobic as they call it. Let's go into
0: real detail here. A lot of it is just tweets saying like, trans women are men. Um, It it goes from things as basic as that. Another piece of their evidence was an article that I wrote about UBC medical school teaching med students. who will go on to be physicians and this is one of the most prestigious med schools in Canada um, teaching their students that women can have penises um, so you know that's another one it's mostly just a variation of the same thing me saying you can't change your sex and a lot of it is actually my criticizing the transing of youth and children and young girls getting mastectomies um, they're they're very <laughs> they're very pissed off about
1: that as well okay so so as as a nurse as a medical practitioner Uh i I can tell you how i feel about this but i want to ask you how you feel about this how do you feel about healthy tissue being taken being cut from the bodies of young women i mean i'm appalled by this I, i i am absolutely
0: terrified and appalled by it I also think that it's sickening. And, you know, thankfully I've never worked in an area where this is happening, but it's absolutely appalling. And, you know, as we know, there's an enormous increase in the number of young girls who are gender dysphoric and they're being pushed along this path. And every time I see a picture online of, a surgeon standing next to a young woman showing off mastectomy scars, I feel sick to my stomach and I almost tear up. Like it's horrifying. It's completely horrifying. Um, And, you know, I remember the only time before becoming a nurse that you would see those scars would be awareness campaigns for breast cancer. And they're trying to show how horrifying the surgery is. Um, And now it's like young girls are doing it for absolutely no reason. So
1: it's almost as though with, with, with the collaboration of some of the medical profession that have been captured by the money and the trans ideology and the trans activists outside of that sphere, they're showing these scars as a badge of honour and, yeah. and and almost like a kind of really cool tattoo that they've just had done. But to me, they're yeah. self-harming scars but they've they've actually been self-harmed by a third party who's supposed to be tasked protecting. with yeah, protecting and keeping us healthy or or helping us overcome really serious illness and disease.
0: Yeah, did you see there was one video making the rounds a couple of months ago of a young woman maybe 18 and she had a little jar with her uterus and ovaries in it and she's sloshing it around in this jar and talking about how how happy she is to have had a total hysterectomy.
1: Yeah, I I saw that and it's the kind of thing that you can't unsee and you know, I'm sorry for those listening that might not know how far this stuff has gone, this celebration of unnecessary surgery, mutilation whatever you want to call it. But having said yeah. that, we're in this mess because the liberals have ignored this for so long. Yeah. I've been monstered, targeted by these people since 2004 when I started writing about it. And the liberals should at that stage have come on board and said, whoa, this is terrible. But instead, they came after us and called us bigots or just agreed with the trans activists that we were really prejudicial. And I, I I need people, I want people to hear the reality of this stuff where you've got some surgeon who is celebrating her 40th, what she calls top surgery, what we call double mastectomy, yeah. and yeah. having the smiling photograph by the scarred young woman whose breasts have been removed. I think, Amy, you might remember this. There was one uh, detransitioner, a young woman who regrets now going through the surgery being trans, ideologically and physically trans, she said something uh-huh. like, "You know, they um, they are celebrating having my breasts in a bin by Christmas." Or their look. That's right. It was a a crowd fund for yeah. for what they call top it, surgery.
0: It was, um, yeet
1: the teats, or like. Yeet tea the yeets. teats and yeah, and yeah. asking people to pay for young women to have healthy breast tissue removed. And their nipples tattooed back on, or dropped off, or dead, or stuck back on. And either way, mm-hmm. they th- this young woman said they're raising money to have their tits in the bin by Christmas.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's there's something there's something deeply wrong where the entire medical establishment is captured and, and doing this to to youth, it's beyond messed up. And we, in the province that I live, we actually have this, um, he, he's, I think he's an endocrinologist. He's a physician of some sort that um, has put hundreds of children, many of them aboriginal children in foster care uh, on puberty blockers, cross sex hormones. And a recording was leaked of him a couple of years ago telling Uh, youth to lie about being suicidal to get put on hormones Um, and he was he was still working after that and then it it blows my mind that you know a physician does that here he's still working no issue and then I in my private time say that I have a problem with things like this and I'm I could lose my livelihood because of it.
1: I mean he he is And then it doesn't quite work as an analogy, but it's kind of relevant. I'm a campaigner against the global sex trade and lots of the work that I've been doing in Vancouver and other countries has been with the brilliant indigenous survivors of the sex trade who've explained to me, you know, that they have really opened my eyes about the colonialist and imperialist aspect of prostitution about how white men of course those with the most power will pluck these girls from group homes as they do with girls in my country from children's homes and the poorest women African-American um, girls who are um, growing up in in chaotic domestic abuse situations wherever there's vulnerability there's, there's girls and women lured into the sex trade and Many of these indigenous women have, and other women, including white women in my country, have had tattoos on their breasts or their arms or their buttocks of the names of their pimps. And it's a stamp of ownership, isn't it? And it's kind of really resonates, that whole tattooing of ownership. We've seen that through horror stories holocausts and the slave trade and the like and many of these women explained to me including one woman that I campaigned on behalf of to get out of prison after she killed her violent pimp they've explained to me that having these tattoos is a terrible mark of shame and trauma for them and when they've gone to our national health service and asked for tattoo removal they've been told there's no money for this it's not a priority but right now we're seeing surgeons in my country give double mastectomies to okay. healthy young women rather than emotional psychiatric or therapeutic support on the yeah. National Health Service what the hell
0: is going on that's completely insane um, and in, ter- in Canada um, we recently passed Bill C-4. Most people hear about C-16. In Canada, it was the gender identity bill that added that to human rights codes. Um, C-4 was the anti-conversion therapy bill. So most people hear that, they think, oh, that's great. We passed a bill banning conversion therapy. They added it to the criminal code. But it includes, it. you know, it conflates homosexuality and gender identity. So, Essentially what they've done is they've made it illegal for any healthcare worker, um, counselor, anyone, um, if someone, if a two-year-old came in and said, I'm a two-year-old boy and said, I'm a girl, it would be illegal and as a healthcare provider, you could potentially face jail time for doing anything other than the affirmative approach and saying, yes, okay, let's refer you to a gender clinic. Um, It's illegal to suggest therapy, anything, because that is considered conversion therapy in Canada at this point. And it's considered
1: by trans activists and organizations such as Stonewall and Mermaids and Gendered Intelligence and the like, in my country, it's also considered to be conversion therapy. And Um, I've, I've interviewed women, brilliant women, who have told me that had they actually been Supported had they been asked questions, had they been talked to about their alcohol abuse, their sexual abuse as children, their chaotic home life, their distress that had come from external forces, had they been talked to about that when they presented at these clinics as trans men, they would now not be without breasts. They would not have been on testosterone for however long these women endured it. So therefore, with beards, with hair loss, with, you know, very masculine appearances and huge regret. Voice change, Adam's app, prominent Adam's apple, the whole thing. We know how testosterone works. And and they say that had they actually had that talking therapy, it would have not only helped them not decide not to to take this terrible decision for hormones and surgery. But they also could have actually recovered from the terrible abuse that they've been through. In other words, it was an opportunity. And a few years ago, I went to, um, to Oregon and I travelled to a small town near Columbine, a very Christian community, as an undercover journalist to ask for conversion therapy to make me straight. I'm a lesbian. To make me straight and you know I had it didn't work by the way I I talked to you as a proud lesbian (laughs) but you can tell with the check shirt I'm still a lesbian but anyway my cover story was I was an unhappy ex-Christian who'd been kicked out of the family home and my mother had caught me kissing my girlfriend when I was 16 in the kitchen of our home and that was it blah 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 and that every relationship I'd had since was a disaster I was unhappy I wanted to get back to the church back to my family home and I went through this conversion therapy and it was pure hell. And I'm a very strong person in many ways. It was my cover story, so I wasn't going through it for real. Uh, I am a very, very proud lesbian, I have been for nearly five decades. And actually, it absolutely did my head in. It was horrendous. This conversion therapy was terrible. It took me a while to get over that and I would have nightmares about it. Now, that was that was the actual conversion therapy where they just yeah. want you to stop being lesbian or gay. They tell you you've been dropped on your head as a baby. They tell you you're a bad person. They tell you you're sick, that you're evil, that you're mad, that you're infected, that you're contaminated, right? It's the wow. absolute polar opposite of what the trans activists are calling conversion therapy, yeah. Which is supportive, bespoke therapy, counseling and time to talk. It's
0: crazy that they're calling it conversion therapy.: And accepting children or whatever, whatever age you are, but it's accepting someone as they are and letting them dress, I don't call yourself whatever you want, everything like that. It's just about um, exploring and acceptance and addressing distress it's not causing distress it's addressing distress absolutely this is just twisted to the point
1: of ridiculousness where there weren't lives at stake and jobs at stake and livelihoods and peace of mind at stake we'd be laughing at this we would be laughing however it's this is too serious it's too big and it's in my view I don't know how you feel about this but this is yet another misogynistic backlash by men, by anti-feminists, by those that hate women and hate our rights. But it's dressed up as a progressive cause. How surprised were you, Amy, when all of a sudden... I mean, I'm assuming that you are... You know, you've got good values. I know this of you. You're a nurse. You're a public servant. You've got good, sound values. You're raising your child. You want to do positive things in the world. How surprised were you when they came after you and started calling you, pretty much a bigger fascist and Nazi, the
0: usual slurs? It it was very shocking at first, and you you know like I've had rape threats, I've had death threats, um, even people threatening my children. Super fucked up, um, and it it's weird to get desensitized to that, but I. I have been because it's been going on for so long. Um, but then having someone like go after your employer is a whole new thing. Um, and then, you know, I still, it's been happening for two years and it's been public for over a year. Um, I have colleagues who I've known and worked with for six years and some of them won't, they won't even make eye contact with me. Um, and it, ball it's like nursing here it's more than 80 percent women who are nurses same with my college and my union it's like these are all women doing it and it's so infuriating um and you feel like if you can just explain yourself then people will understand but it's not even always the case um and i was going to say so my union actually pressured the Trudeau Liberal government here to pass Bill C4. They wrote a letter on behalf of members. I was pissed because I'm like, I'm a member, I wasn't consulted, and I absolutely don't support this conversion therapy bill. Um, And I ended up writing an op-ed about it, and I'm sure they're very unhappy with me as well. They haven't supported me at all in my fight. Uh, But it was also extraordinary that a union would, in my opinion, be so stupid as to push for a federal law that criminalizes healthcare choices that clinicians should be making based on evidence. You you don't make healthcare policy with the criminal code of Canada. Like that's just insane. And for a healthcare union to be pushing for it and promoting it, it's like they've lost their minds. This is absolute batshit crazy.
1: And in the meantime, yeah. what are you doing? What's your daily life like since all of this kicked off for you?
0: Um, yeah, I'm, I've am i taken some time off stress leave, but I, I just try to. I'm just trying to have a normal life. I'm obviously very busy with my kids. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I don't want to feel angry or upset about it all the time. So I try not to think about it as much as I can. And I'm still, I'm still writing about the issue. I'm still making tweets that I am sure are infuriating these people. The the anonymous complainant, I'm not allowed to know who they are because they think I could retaliate against them, which is ridiculous. But they wrote a second letter of complaint about me um, in like months after their first complaint, and they clearly watch my Twitter every day. I just try to not let it bother me. It it really got to me for quite some time but um I try not to think about it now I and it's it's like they're they're trying to break me psychologically it's but they've delayed the hearing it's you know they they don't respond a lot of the time to requests that we have and it as I said it went four days seven days ten days and it started with three days where they only presented evidence against me. And then I'm waiting until the end of October for four more days. And then I have to wait for however long to do three more days. And then it goes back and forth with written submissions for who knows how many months. So it's, it's a process is the punishment type of thing. Oh,
1: yeah. And, so, the, and the, the grounds that you have brought the case on, explain to us what those
0: grounds are. The reason that it's funded by the Justice Centre is that they take on cases where someone's rights under the Canadian charter are threatened. So my case is, you know, it's both a, it's about women's sex-based rights clearly, but it's also about, we, we don't call it free speech or we call it free expression. So I think it's likely that it will wind its way through the court system. It's at this tribunal level. Um, if there's a grounds for appeal, it ends up in the court system. It could go all the way to the Supreme Court and kind of at that point, it would essentially be like a free speech case and hopefully be useful in opening the door for professional bodies to not try to censor people and punish them for wrong think and, and to be weaponized by woke people to just like cancel or ruin the lives of people they disagree with. Um, and And just for, I hope that, Canadian nurses and midwives who are also in my college feel free to speak out about this like the the midwife, <laughs> the midwives in BC they've they're doing all this shit like pregnant people chest feeding yada yada I can only imagine how many midwives are furious and afraid to say anything
1: same here same with the Royal College of Nursing with uh, many of the midwives but there's pushback as there is Obviously, in Canada, in particular, in in Vancouver, I think. But how long are we looking at in terms of your case being concluded? Can you possibly tell how long it's going to be? And are you in work at the moment? Do you have a salary? Are you?
0: Yeah, I am. I am still working. Um, but like I said, I used, I think all told, more than more than two months in the last two years of um like stress leave, um. But yeah, I'm still working. I don't, I don't feel like I like my job anymore. I did for eight years. Um, it's just, It yeah, it's, <laughs> it used to be, it went from something that I enjoyed going to. I liked my colleagues and now, it. you know, every morning I'm like, ugh, I just don't, I don't even, it's hard to focus and I don't wanna be there and, It's just bizarre feeling like you've been betrayed by your own profession.
1: Yeah, which you have. When can you envisage coming out of this hell? Can you yet see the light?
0: I think early in the new year, I will hopefully, maybe January, February, finally receive the panel's decision. So there's an impartial panel. It's three women. Two of them are nurses and one is a member of the public. Um, So I'm, you know, I'm putting my faith in due process and hoping that they will make the right decision based on the law. Um, But I think, I think maybe January or February, I will receive their decision and then go from there. But as I've said many times, I absolutely will not take, I'm not taking a slap on the wrist. I'm not taking nothing at all. I accept zero punishment. It has, I would prefer that they just apologize to me, but if they do anything, no, I'm not I'm not doing it. I'm not taking it. I'm going to fight it as far as it will go.
1: Well, I'm telling you, we will be step by step with you. And I, I want to thank you personally for what you're doing because the fact that you have decided to fight this, to speak out about this issue in the first place, to resist their immediate punishment and condemnation of you, that you're standing up, for women everywhere and I thank you and I know that many women in my country and around the world are also grateful to you and you know we're we're a global sisterhood what happens to you what
0: happens to us and we absolutely will be with you all the way I hope you know that oh thank you that's really sweet and uh, yeah, as I said I'm like I feel star talking to you so it's it's amazing to hear you say that <laughs> thank you well it's
1: I'm just so Proud to know women like you um, all over the world, and we will absolutely defeat this bullshit. It's it's not it's not going to prevail. So thank you, Amy. Thank you for everything.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Amy's case should be heard on the 24th of October. Please follow the case. It's appalling that someone could be at risk of losing their job. Because of spurious allegations that these days seem to have so much traction let's support amy thanks for listening